Hey everybody, today I chat with Angel Collinson. She is one of the top big mountain skiers in the world and she's based out of Utah. If you haven't seen her ski before, it's definitely worth checking out her videos on YouTube. She skis some insanely aggressive lines on some of the steepest faces in the world. In this conversation, we talk about the massive fall that she took in Alaska last year, what it was like getting homeschooled by her mom as she grew up living at a ski resort, her morning routine, and a bunch of other random and cool stuff. She's super chill, humble, and an unreal skier. So yeah, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Angel Collinson. Angel, thanks so much for taking the time out of your crazy schedule to talk to me today. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to kind of set the tone for people that haven't seen any of your videos or anything like that. I remember last year, I think it was TJR, released the footage of you getting your ski caught while you're skiing down that massive face in Alaska and pretty much falling a thousand feet. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite a thousand, more like maybe 700. It's a nice <laughs> yeah, even a... number to... <laughs> yeah, it's a little ways, yeah. Yeah. So you basically you fall down this mountain, super long fall. And then the part that really got me is you end up coming to a standstill and they radio down like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll go back up and get my skis, which were probably <laughs> like 500 feet above you, all ice. So just it, how, I don't know how you stayed so composed and relaxed during that situation. Is that, is that normal for you? Well, uh, that was kind of the first fall like that that I've had. You know, I guess being in the mountains and in these high-stress environments and skiing these lines, you get used to making decisions at a really quick pace, yeah. <laughs> you know, dealing with uh, changing scenarios. And so I think uh, part of the reason why I have succeeded in my ski career and why I um, – can ski the lines that I ski is because I do tend to make good decision making like in uh, milliseconds, I guess. So part of that is just being able to stay calm and cool and collected. And I think a bit of it is something that you're born with and also just, uh, you know, being accustomed to those situations. Yeah. And what was the decision on this particular uh, fall that, or that led to this fall? Well, it was, uh, definitely a learning experience for me because we'd been having a really difficult day film-wise. The weather was really in and out and we had just been like struggling to get a shot and that wasn't, I knew that shot wasn't going to make the movie. I just wanted to ski it for fun. Yeah. So, uh, but I wasn't feeling it that day. I was tired and just kind of in a funk and I thought that skiing a fun cooler would just shake me out of the funk Yeah, and I yeah, it was a good lesson for trusting my intuition and that sometimes you're not supposed to work through something. Sometimes you just need to step back and let it pass. Yeah, it's all about paying attention to the resistance, right? Especially in skiing. Um, yeah. It's pretty important. And anything, really. Yeah, yeah, anything in life, that's true. And did did you yeah. end up going back up to get your skis? Probably not, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I was down to, but uh, it was actually pretty classic because just maybe a week before Ian McIntosh took a pretty gnarly tomahawk and lost his skis. And that footage also went viral. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I was the one at the top. So I went down and got his skis for him and he was like, Oh man, I make time. And then sure enough, like a week later there, he is getting flown up to go get my skis. Yeah, <laughs> called like, in your oh, favor. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's funny timing. Yeah. And yeah, like you mentioned, you've been skiing your entire life, which is why you're able to make such quick decisions. Um, if we kind of roll back the clock, uh, you were born in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm, 1990. Yeah, what was your early life like? Well, my early life was definitely pretty unconventional. Uh, I was born and raised in the employee housing up at Snowbird. Um, my brother Johnny and I, who also the first skier and we share a house together, he uh, and I shared a 5 by 12 closet. And we would ski in the winters. <laughs> and my mom taught a one-room homeschool with me and him and five other kids. And then in the summers, we would rent our little apartment up at Snowbird out. And we would travel out of a van and pretty much backpacked around the entire Intermountain West. So I kind of grew up. I don't have any memories of not skiing. And I, I didn't really ever experience a city until I 
I was like, I don't know, 16 or something. That's crazy. How did your mom set up the homeschool? Did she just, was she a teacher or did she just do it all at her own will? Yeah, uh, she did have a degree in education, um, but I feel like there's no amount of degrees that can really prepare you for dealing with homeschooling. It's a pretty, it's kind of turning into a little bit of a trend these days and it's challenging, you know, but we had, uh, the way we had set it up was all of the kids would go to public school in the fall and then we would pull out for the middle two quarters in the winter and then we would go back to our public schools in the spring. And so we worked it out with the school systems where we could take the books and take the curriculum and kind of promise them that we would learn everything we need to learn. So when finals came around in the spring, we would be where we needed to be. So right from an early age, you know, mom was kind of helping us teach ourselves and stay accountable because, you know, she can't micromanage seven kids in seven different curriculum. So, and did yeah, it work it was, out uh, pretty well? Did you guys, it did. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it takes, she, you know, dedicated her whole life to it, which is what it takes really. And a lot of patience. Um, and so it worked out amazingly. Most of the kids got, you know, full ride or most of the way academic scholarships to all the colleges that we applied to. And everyone now is just kicking butt in life in their own respective uh, disciplines and it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, what did a week kind of look like with the homeschooling? Cause I would imagine there were a ton of powder days mixed in there when you probably should have technically been learning. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, what's funny is, uh, there, that's kind of the general perception, but at the same time we would, because we were accountable for learning, if you got behind and it was all on you to make it up, it's actually pretty stressful. <laughs> so there was more days than people realize of us um, not really going out on a powder day or maybe just taking a couple runs, like getting out, getting our yayas out, yeah. clearing our head a little bit, and then going to school right away. And it was kind of challenging because, you know, the time when you're the freshest especially mentally is in the morning, but that's usually when the skiing is the best. I, I know. So you kind of, we would have to make, tra- yeah, so we'd have to make trade-offs, you know, of, well, I'm super behind, so I need to stay in school and, you know, work on this today, even though it's epic out there, or sweet, I'm ahead, you know, I can go shred, so. That's interesting, though, because that self-accountability at that young of, young of an age actually isn't that normal, I don't think, right? To get a no. kid to care that much. Yeah, it's um it's not but but I also think when you ask kids to help you with the process that you're embarking on with them, like if you're a team, if you're not just like I'm, you know, the authority and this is what we're doing, if you're kind of like, like all right guys, this is our common goal and if you want to keep skiing and if you want to keep homeschooling and have this work, like we all need to make it happen together. Yeah. And I think kids work really well to that kind of a we're a team and let's do it together sort of a mentality. No, I would agree for sure. And because you grew up in this kind of unconventional way, especially with the schooling, what do you think when you look at the public schooling system? What do you think of that setup? Uh, well, you know, I still did you know, half of my year was still public schooling. Right. So, um, I have a pretty good idea of it, but not completely because I did get this other aspect to homeschooling. But I think that, uh, the, the benefit to public schooling is the socialization, right? Yeah. That's like a huge, huge part of, of the whole system really, I think. Yeah. Um, there's definitely areas where, it lags. Um, and I think a lot of that especially is like emotionally intelligent schooling. Like, um, there were so many days when we, somebody would show up to this one room homeschool and they were having a bad day for whatever reason, maybe they got in trouble at home or maybe something that was going on in the world was really upsetting them. And it was palpable, you know, and mom, it was always like, as soon as that, as soon as you could feel something was up with somebody, it was like everything, would stop and it was almost like group therapy and I was like all right well what's going on what's wrong like and so you'd have to put in front of the group and that that procured this kind of emotional intelligence that we all have in being in touch with ourselves and our feelings and also being able to um, hold that space or talk about it in ways with people that I don't see a lot and 
especially in the public schools, like so many kids kind of get in their bubble and they struggle through and there's not that kind of emotional connection or we're not taught how to deal with our emotions or emotionally challenging situations. And I think, honestly, that was something that my mom did really well that I'm so grateful for that I don't see yeah. in the public school systems. I mean, you can't get it right when the groups are that big. It's really challenging. So No, yeah, sharing your feelings would be valued because you were such a small group, but when you're in a tribe of 25 crazy kids, you're not, you're not going to share anything. And I know that from experience, no. just keep it in yeah. at all costs. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. be the outlier. At but all. then there's, yeah, exactly. For sure. But we also are never taught how to deal with it ever. Like, I don't know, you don't really take classes in high school or elementary or whenever to be like, this is how you deal with challenging things in life. Here are some emotional tools you can use or talking is important because of this reason. Like we'd never learn that, you know, it's yeah. kind of crazy to me. And were there moments when you kind of wished you did live a more conventional life because you did half of your year at the public school? I'm sure you had friends that uh, yeah, lived the normal life. Parents came home at five. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. It's it's funny now. I'm so grateful. As with most challenging things in life, um, you're really grateful after it's all said and done. And I appreciate it in the moment, too. But, uh, but I didn't really have any friends until I was like 16 because I was always leaving, right? In the summers, we would leave. And then in the winters, I would leave the public school. And so I had some friends on the ski team, but when you're younger especially, you kind of need FaceTime constantly in order to maintain a friendship, right? They're a little more, For sure. not superficial, but you know, a little more surface. And yeah. then once I got to be a little bit older and people were more established in who they were, the connections were a little deeper and lasted. But it was like, I didn't really have any friends besides John, any good friends until I was 16. Yeah, that's funny. I had a similar situation growing up because we moved around. We moved from Canada to New Zealand for three years, started school in Australia, and then we moved from there back to Canada, and then we moved to New Zealand for high school. And yeah, I just all I had were my siblings, my older brother and sister, and no constant friends because of exactly what you said. Uh, the, the bonds aren't strong enough to actually talk to people <laughs> overseas, yeah. but it makes yeah. you super close with your family. Yes. I'm sure now is paying off big time for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's invaluable. So. And you and John are, you share a place in Utah? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We actually, um, we built a house uh, with my parents. So the four of us like built it, built it like the, we just didn't install the drywall or plumbing. Um, but we, <laughs> we learned a lot on Good YouTube call. and we all built a house together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was an old abandoned warehouse that it was totally off the grid. So it's pretty industrial looking. It's got uh, corrugated metal siding, but the, in the whole interior was open. So we kind of got to do what we wanted with it. And we like rocks. So everything is yep. like really cool, like marble or travertine stone windowsills. We kind of made a little stone palace. That's wicked. So having John as your partner in crime growing up, is he younger than you? Yes, yeah. by almost two years. And you're both professional skiers. So how do you think, if if it was just one of you in the situation, do you think the outcome would have been the same or because you were constantly pushing each other, that was the key? Like, do you think one of us would still be a professional skier exactly. if we didn't have the other person? Yeah. Hmm. I think John probably would for sure. Um, he just loves skiing more than anyone I know. Um, I don't know if I would have been without him. I probably would be in, some, in the academic field. The only reason why I'm a big mountain skier right now, honestly, is because of him. Because when I went to college, <laughs> he was like, Angel, you need to sign up for these free skiing comps. Like, they're super fun. And I know you're just going to spend all your time in the library. So you got to keep skiing and they're super fun. So I was like, all right, I'll try it out. And that was it. Yep. So what was your plan as you were getting to the end of high school? Well, I was, I was ski racing, alpine ski racing at a pretty high level. And I was trying to make the U.S. team. And you know, I had goals of you know, competing on the World Cup and hopefully going to the Olympics. So it was everything. You know, it was my whole life. And anyone who really goes all into sports when you're at that age knows what that's like to just kind of sacrifice most things in life to pursue a sport or music or whatever. It's a lot. So that was, that was everything. And I got kind of 
burnt out, but more I realized towards the end of high school, right when I was 18, that's kind of prime age for getting named to the U.S. ski team. I just, I was skiing really well. Like I was getting the results I'd always wanted to get and I wasn't happy. And I just realized that uh, I wasn't getting the kind of joy from the results that I always thought I would. And that's when I was like, all right, I need to (laughs) re-steer this boat here. And I had a I had a full ride academic scholarship to the University of Utah that I had been deferring. So I decided to take, I didn't get named to the US ski team, which was a total blessing in disguise. Yeah. And I started going to school. Nice. So yeah. looking back at that now, do you know why you weren't having fun while you were doing that? Well, that's actually funny. I. I think it's because I haven't thought about that a ton from that angle, but I think it's because I didn't, wasn't able to live a well, the kind of well-rounded life that I craved. Yeah. Like I knew there was so many other things to life outside. And for me, this constant striving for perfection of the turn and perfection of the sport, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. I wanted more out of life, I think. Right on. And so you went to university and, uh, did you end up finishing university? No. no. That was another quite big uh, unseen twist of the fates because I had pretty lofty goals. I really wanted to go to graduate <laughs> school at Harvard. Um, I was double majoring and minoring, and I was going to graduate from the Honors College. So I had quite a, a bit stacked up, and I was doing great, but uh, I was just getting all these the offers. The same burnout? Uh, no. No. Not the same. No, way, it, I was no, I was stoked on it. Um, okay, I was super psyched. But the, I started getting all these offers, uh, like ski trips or sponsorships, and all of a sudden I was like, man, I can't, I can't do both. I can't balance a ski career and maintain um, a full class load in order to keep this scholarship. And I, at that point, was completely identifying as a student, as an academic. I kind of always did, honestly. I loved racing, but I also took my schooling super seriously and really enjoyed it. So when I called my parents, first, all of a sudden, I had this thought when I was in summer school. I was like, what if I just don't sign up for fall classes? And it was like, it was like this crazy thought. I was yeah. like, where did that even come from? Like, never even popped in my mind before. So I called my parents, and they were like, well... School's always going to be there. Skiing, you know, those opportunities won't always come. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I just didn't sign up for fall classes. And at that point, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And my dad was like joking about how I was a dropout. And I, at first, for the first like year, I was pretty sensitive about it. And I was like, dad, I'm not a dropout. I'm, it's <laughs> just on pause. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> but now I'm like, yeah, I dropped out of college. <laughs> yeah. Then it becomes super cool. It's, it's the cool thing to do these days. It's so funny how that is. You're right? like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing some activism now. Does that kind of fulfill your, uh, what you were doing at school? Is that similar or? Yeah, it is because in some ways. I was going to school for environmental studies and philosophy and international relations because I really wanted to go into environmental policy. And it was kind of interesting because I just planned on giving all that up when I took up a ski career. And without really trying, it's I've sort of wound up in this advocacy position, which has been a really cool experience to how life kind of winds you into these places if you follow your heart and you try and stay true to your passions, you know? So, but the, the difference is it's difficult to stay. There's something about going to school or at least being that intellectually engaged all the time that keeps your mind really sharp. And I've been craving that a bit. So I've started trying to get a little more into it with the advocacy, but I need to Honestly, I need to be doing more homework. I need to be, I think, getting more involved, getting better informed and more read up than I have been. I've kind of been enjoying the athlete lifestyle. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I have the same thing. And it really comes down to who you surround yourself with as well. Yeah. Right? And not in a bad way, but people just have different interests. Mm -hmm. So if you're not hanging out with people that have an interest in activism and environmentalism, then you're probably not getting fulfilled in that area. But I mean, there's yeah. always books and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, but it is hard. It's hard to just get everything from a book or from 
the internet. You know, it's a different kind of engagement when you're not discussing. It takes insane self-discipline. It's definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely not as fun either. <laughs> no, it's pretty difficult. <laughs> and do you often or ever experience burnout from skiing? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. I think, sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say, and how do you combat that? Yeah. Um, I actually had a really interesting um, experience last summer with Stacy Peralta, who was the legendary oh, skateboarder yeah. from Lords of Dogtown. Nice. And uh, he has his own production company now, and North Face actually hired them for one of their campaigns last year. And so he and his production company came to my house, uh, and it was just an incredible experience to meet him. Like, man is just such, such a, legend. a legend in so many ways. Like he's just so well-spoken and so compassionate and kind and insightful. Like he's just blows your mind. You're like, well, this is a human being. I think That's he's so an alien. Cool. Yeah. It was so cool. He's just so rad. And I was, I asked him, I was like, you know, do you, do you ever hate your job? Like do you ever hate <laughs> what you do? And he was like, Oh yeah. All the time. And I was like, woo. Yeah, like, you, know, you like think you're the only one. You think you have like some dirty secret if like when you get to do your passion for a living yeah. that you also kind of hate it. Oh, yeah. And you don't want to talk about it because people are like, oh, that's so cool that you get to like do what you love for work. And yeah, you're like, you don't want to ruin their image that they <laughs> yeah. have of you, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't totally. want to break their heart. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you're like, well, but then what you love most in life becomes your work. And then you have all these obligations and you have deadlines. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, am I skiing for me or am I skiing because I have to fulfill someone else's expectations or meet some cat like catalog deadline or all of a sudden. So all of a sudden it becomes challenging to balance when it's for you and when it's for work. And then you feel guilty because you're like, wow, am I really complain about, complaining about <laughs> taking a heli up to totally. any line I want today? But I totally get it. I've had totally. moments like that as well. And yeah. what have you figured out to deal with that? Well, I'm still, it's, I think it's like just a lifelong practice. And what Stacy said is that after he's finished with a long project, like a movie, he just completely takes time off. He was like, I get really depressed. I get sad. And I just, he was like, you have to take time away from it. Yeah. And you can't be scared of doing that. Exactly. Because you're going to come back so much fresher and more stoked and, it's going to always renew your passion and make you remember why you loved it. So that next winter I did that. I took some time and I went on some ski vacations and it was so awesome. And I was like, Oh yeah, I love skiing. And so I have really tried to make the time when I just get to ski for me and, you know, carve that out yeah. and also pick up a couple other hobbies that I just totally get to mess around with and, don't have anything to do with work that I, they, I just get to play with them. Yeah. So I think making time for other creative endeavors is really important too. And it's crazy how those will end up looping back and inspiring you in another way with your main yeah. endeavor. It, it all connects so well. Yeah. That's what I've found. Yeah, absolutely. What are the other hobbies you picked up? Uh, I love singing. <laughs> I've yeah. always loved singing. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I have a friend who's an amazing singer and um, whenever we're hanging out, she's recorded some, like she just has the most beautiful voice and she'll just bust it out anytime. And it's like the biggest treat ever when she's like singing and making you lasagna or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, but for all of a sudden realizing that singing was something that I was actually good at and I can do anytime and I can just play with. And if I want to record something, I can, or if I don't want to, I don't have to. Singing's definitely become that. And writing as well. Have you recorded anything yet? Um, I recorded, actually it was funny because, so I started trying to sing more just to broaden my bubble um, of my comfort zone. I just started singing more like in front of people or with people and um, Sammy Carlson actually heard it and he was like, Angel, will you record a song for my movie? And I was like, uh, no okay. So I drove up to Jackson Hole where he was, uh, had this whole, he, that's where he was editing his movie and he had this sick recording studio in this no house way. up there. So, um, yeah, I recorded a song and they didn't end up getting the rights to it because it was a cover. Um, you charge him too much? <laughs> yeah, charge him an arm and a leg. No, um, it wasn't original. It was just some, uh, I think it was actually a Tina Turner original, but I yeah. didn't know that at the time. <sighs> I just heard someone else cover it. And so it was a cool experience and 
you know, we have the recording from it and that was cool. Uh, and he was like, he wants to put it to an edit. I think he may have done that. I can't remember. But anyways, yeah, so that was the only time I was actually in like a big studio. And do you have any goals with singing or is that kind of the beauty of it? You're really just doing it for no reason. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No goals. Yeah. Well, I'd like to start writing my own stuff for me. I also love the banjo so much. Um, but I, and I keep having a goal of wanting to learn how to play it and write my own stuff, but it's hard. (laughs) So, but that's the whole point is not really having any goals. Like, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Get your Mumford and Sons on, sit on the front porch all summer. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you just got back from a trip. I mean, probably like half an hour ago, right? Yeah. An hour ago. Your life seems to be constantly travel, right? How does that uh, lack of routine affect you? Are you really good at dealing with that? Is that in your nature or does it, is it hard? Uh, it's hard. Uh, well, it's, you can, we can adjust to anything, right? Humans are super adaptable. And so I've sort of balanced between having a really great morning routine that I always, uh, do no matter where I am. That helps, but I don't always stick to that because, I'm not going to do a full hour-long routine if I have to keep catching 4 a.m. flights, which happens often, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then when you're always on the move, also, you, you just get used to that. But I notice it does take a toll on me. And so I really try – I've tried to create rituals that I can take with me wherever I go that make it less harsh. But, yeah, um, yeah it's still – it's hard. Yeah, that's something I've been trying to do as well, trying to make – yourself at home within yourself no matter where you are so yeah having having those routines in the morning but then yeah if you're catching a heli at five in the morning and you went to bed at midnight it gets really tough to do yeah what does your routine look like if you don't mind sharing yeah uh well I wake up I if I can I try to go to bed early enough so that I can wake up without an alarm based on how tired I am I really notice a difference. I can go to bed as early as I want, though. I could fall asleep at 6 p.m. if I wanted. So I'm oh, yeah, lucky I'm with you. in that way. Yeah. So if I can just try and be disciplined to go to bed early enough that I wake up on my own and I'm fully rested, that makes a huge difference. Uh, so hopefully I start by waking up without an alarm. But even if I do, I like to do um, a little bit of stretching, maybe like a couple sun salutations or a little bit of yoga. And then... For about 20 minutes, I either do breath work or and or some sort of meditation and visualization to start the day. And I always drink lemon water with turmeric and pepper and salt. Oh. Yes. No, um, I, no coffee, eh? No, I'm not really. Well, I have it sometimes like if I need to really get stuff done. It's more of a treat though. I don't. I feel better if I drink lemon water first thing and more awake oh. than if I drink coffee. Fair enough. So... Yeah, I'll do like 20 minutes of meditation, visualization, and then I've got some like little energy cards that I like to kind of set the tone for what I'm thinking about for the day or maybe a theme to help me with a problem or challenge that I'm dealing with. And go ahead. What's an energy card? No, just like there's so many different little card decks, you know, like tarot cards or whatever where it's like – or animal medicine cards. Those are my favorite. But basically it's just a deck of cards and – on on each card, there's a corresponding uh, animal or maybe saying or like a word like fear or whatever. And then there's a little booklet that kind of goes into what that card represents. So you kind of can pose a question to the powers that may be or whatever you want to call it. And it just sort of um, creates a theme for the day, right? I don't know okay. if if you've done many, any tarot readings or anything like that, I'm not really a huge fan of tarot, but it's basically just like a little card that can set a theme for your day. Like for example, my favorite ones are, I love native American culture and medicine and I really enjoy animal medicine. So I have this deck of, um, animal medicine cards and let's say, uh, I'm wondering how to deal with, um, being unsure of entering in this, um, new situation where I'm moving up to Alaska and I'm leaving my whole tribe and I'll pull a card and it's porcupine and the porcupine represents vulnerability and it kind of goes in to explain how um, when you know you have to trust your inner 
your inner child, your inner innocence, and be able to show people your soft side and why you might need to do that. So it's just kind of a cool way to, uh, to kind of, yeah, get another view on something that you're already thinking about. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's so many times it's really cool uh, when you pick a card and you're like, well, that's pretty fitting. <laughs> yeah, it probably uh, happens almost every time, eh? You can, yeah, you can exactly. Ap- you can apply any of them to any situation. Exactly. Which and they're always shows, Which shows how you can uh, adjust your mindset to think of anything in any way. And, like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what happiness is too, right? Yeah. And you can be happy exactly. in any situation. It's what you decide exactly. to do. Exactly. Exactly. Amen. I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned a bit of breath work. What type of stuff are you doing? It kind of depends on where, where I'm at. If I'm really stressed out, um, actually I was getting really bad anxiety a few years ago and I'm not, uh, if I was a different person, it was getting to the point where it was almost debilitating. Like I would be walking around in circles and I would try and meditate and Um, and that would last for like a little bit, but then I'd be back and my mind was spinning circles. And I saw this woman who is a a nutritionist actually. And she was like, I don't think you're eating enough protein, which was absolutely the case. And she was like, when you're in these stressful situations, and this kind of applies to any of us who are really stressed out. Um, you just do a quick test where you take a deep breath. And if you, when you take that deep breath, if it's kind of all from your chest and shoulders, like if you pull your shoulders up in order to take that deep breath, it means that your uh, sympathetic nervous system is fully engaged and you're in fight or flight mode. And so basically, you know, everything's kind of, you're stressed out, everything's in fight or flight. Um, and so you're not breathing like from your diaphragm into your belly, you're kind of breathing with your shoulders. That's why a lot of people also have really tight shoulders. And so she was like, if something that will really help with your anxiety is if for 20 minutes a day you do, you lay on your back or if you want to sit, you can, you do deep belly breathing where you start and you fill your entire stomach up with breath and you kind of pull with your diaphragm. And after 20 minutes of doing that kind of breath work, it helps you activate your parasympathetic nervous system and it takes you out of fight or flight mode. Is it really heavy breathing then like by the end are you lightheaded or is it more No, it's just completely normal breathing, but you're just focused on being relaxed and breathing from your stomach instead of from your chest and shoulders up. Um and so it takes, you know, 20 minutes to basically give your body the signal like, "Hey, it's cool, things are chill, <laughs> I'm relaxed." Yeah. And I noticed a huge difference. Really? So if I'm really yeah, huge. It was crazy. So if I'm really stressed out, Um, and if I have 20 minutes to do it, which most of us usually do, we usually spend probably at least five to 10 on social media. Oh, for sure. So it's like not that hard to restructure time. So if I have 20 minutes and I feel like doing that and I'm stressed out, that's, um, one of my go-tos. And otherwise, another one I really like to do is alternate nostril breathing where you, um, breathe, you kind of plug one nostril with a finger and you breathe in. And then you swap, so you plug your um, the nostril you just breathed in, and you breathe out the other nostril. And then oh. you breathe back in that same one, and you keep swapping. And what that does uh, is it helps link uh, the two sides of your brain and also can really help calm you down. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of a nice way to connect uh, your sort of logical to-do list mind with your creative out there mind. And I like that one a lot. Were you kind of skeptical when she first suggested this? Because I, I mean, I've had mild anxiety, obviously. I think everyone has, but not, I wouldn't classify it as anything that's kind of debilitated me. And it's probably by, by the point, or so you probably get to the point sometimes where you think that nothing can help. Did you think the breathing would help or were you kind of skeptical? Yes. Um, oh, when, when she said that, I thought it would, but I didn't quite realize just how much it was going to. I was like, yeah, yeah, because, you know, so many times people will be like, just take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> That's you know, what I mean. Is, yeah, everyone's seems always like, take a breath. It seems too easy, right? Yeah. Um, and it does take commitment because at first, I immediately noticed a difference, like I think day to day, but especially once I did it for a week, she, you know, the, the, the whole thing is it takes, what is it, 30 days to form a habit? Yeah. It 30 days to break a bad I, habit. I think it's 21 days, three weeks to make a habit, which could not even be true, but that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she was like, do this every day. 
and she gave me a little piece of paper with the like blank month on it. So I wrote in the days and I bought myself some stickers, like little Oh, no way. stickers of little pieces of poo wearing glasses. I still remember it. <laughs> I was like, these are awesome. And um, I stickered every day to kind of like keep track and uh, I don't know, hold myself accountable in some way. And I really noticed a long-term difference for sure. It was, I didn't think it was going to work quite that well, but all of a sudden it was like a week and a half later and I was like, Oh my God, I feel like a different person. It was so awesome. And some of it also was um, diet. Like if you're in a state, and I think this is kind of true for a lot of us now where we don't have access to as good of food or, you know, we're buying fast food or junk food or snacking all the time and not really getting good calories. Um, that also puts the body under a lot of stress. And so. Yeah, it definitely starts in the gut. Yeah. Right. There's totally. so much going on in there. <laughs> crazy it is crazy and they're just figuring it all out right now yeah i've it's been kind of a mystery recently too yeah all the stuff on how the gut biome really affects your mental state what were some of the thoughts that were kind of circulating in your mind when you had the anxiety like because you probably were thinking about things in your day-to-day -day life right yeah um well it was mostly i guess centered around as I think everything, pretty most of our fears as humans are centered around our lack of control over what's happening to us in life, you know? Mm. And I think the more you worry about feeling like you don't have control or things aren't going according to plan or things aren't going your way, the more you worry about that, the worse it spirals into <laughs> feeling like you're not able to do what you want to do. Yeah. And it's sort of like you're chasing, it's like almost like if you're swimming in a in a lake and trying to grab a bobber or something and like the harder you swim, the more yeah. you ripples push it away. You know, it's kind of like that. And so, yeah, it's a pretty vicious cycle actually when you're caught in it, you, you feel like you're never going to get out of it. But I was mostly just worried about, um, not, not doing enough, not, I guess not measuring up in life, right. Not being capable or competent enough, um, and not getting enough stuff done is what yeah. I would really worry about. Like, Oh, I haven't done this and I need to do this. And, you know, our to-do lists are never going to go away. Never. And, and I was giving me a lot of anxiety because I felt like the more I tried to work hard and do stuff and the less time I would spend taking care of myself and the more things would go wrong and the more things would get added to the to-do list. And yeah. it was just, yeah, it's a brutal, brutal cycle. So what you found is that it kind of boiled down to irrational thinking though, because you, you were, you were doing what you need to do. Yeah. Right. It was just your, your brain was stuck in a, in a loop. Yeah. 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 And at some point you just have to realize that you're not in control of everything and it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't get everything done, the world's not going to end and you have time to take care of yourself, do the things you want to do, work on a creative project, go on a walk with your dog, do yoga in the morning, like whatever it is yeah. that you're like, I don't have time for that. You have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> you do. It's going to be fine. I've definitely wrestled with that a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. the guilt. I need to sit at my computer for 10 hours a day. Oh, and I then, yeah, and then you're so unproductive. <laughs> so unproductive. And <laughs> so speaking of control or lack of control, you recently had a knee injury, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's, how's the recovery going with that? Uh, it's going great now. Yeah. Um, it was, have you ever had an injury that put you off a little <sighs> no, bit? No, I should have, yes. but not yet. Well, that's great. Yeah, no, not I feel really lucky. Yeah. Um, it was, I hadn't either until this, like literally hadn't even broken a bone or anything. So it was, it gave me a lot of compassion for, and understanding for just the whole injury process, like what you go through. The craziest thing about it that I just didn't quite realize is it really shakes your, I like your sense of identity for some reason. Like when ah, you're that's down, that's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. And it's, it, for anyone, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not, like something about being completely incapable or incompetent or having your life rocked in a way, weird way, it really changes. Yeah. It's like an identity crisis. And I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, especially having anxiety before an injury and then throw the injury on top of that and you takes away some of the activities that you really love. Did you find it really tough or are you, are you finding that you're able to deal with those a lot better now? You know, I actually, um, I feel like with everything that I've been, you know, my meditation practice and 
the, I guess, personal work that I've done the past couple of years gave me the tools in the toolbox that I needed to deal with it. And it yeah. wasn't that, um, it was challenging, but I knew, I never questioned whether or not I got, it was like, oh, I got this, like this sucks. And this is kind of crazy that like my identity is getting rocked like this, but I knew I was going to come out on the other side. And so that was, I was really grateful for that because I think, um, yeah, not everyone feels that way. And yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I felt like I did my homework. And when this happened, I was like, okay, well, now it's really time to put into play everything I've been preaching about how your attitude is all you got control over. And, so and true. Perspective. Yeah. So I was like, okay, time to put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> That's so funny. I have thoughts like that all the time where I, yeah, I say, oh, well, I don't say it to other people really, but I, I do have thoughts like that. Like, oh, why can't people just kind of be positive and be grateful for what they have. But I'm coming from a place where I'm so fortunate and I get that other people have huge difficulties to deal with. Yeah. So yeah, an experience like that could definitely be an eye opener in in a good way. Yeah, it was for sure. It yeah. was really good. And it made me be like, just want to take more time out of my life and out of my everyday to just help people. Like, because at some point we all need help, you know, and when, when you, everything's all hunky-dory for a while, you kind of forget how much it sucks when you need help from other people. Even if it's just like a nice text or like, hey, I was thinking about you today and wanted to let you know how rad you are, whatever. Like, yeah. they go a long way. And so I tried to, that was kind of a lesson that I tried to uh, carry with me from that. And what specific things did you end up doing? Just little things like texting friends that you don't talk to all the time? or Yeah, like if someone crosses my mind, I really try and reach um, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, whatever. Um, and something that I used to do that I'd kind of fallen off the wagon is I really like, especially if I don't know somebody very well, for some reason I really like writing a note on a scrap piece of paper that's like something I noticed about them or some encouraging thing. Like usually if somebody's going through a hard time, I really like writing them a little note, just a little handwritten note and being like, hey, you're awesome. You got this. Yeah. <laughs> little smiley face. And, uh, yeah, that's something that I, I've started doing again. Nice. If there was any, if you could talk to yourself at 17, is there anything that you'd say? Anything that you'd warn yourself about? Um, well, it's actually kind of funny you ask this because tomorrow I'm uh, going to Boulder and giving a high school graduation speech. No way. <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. I was so, I was gonna ask that. I was gonna ask if you were gonna talk to a graduating class. So, what what do you have for us? Um, well, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm sort of a procrastinator. <laughs> um, that's why I'm here. Yeah, we're gonna uh, write this together. Okay, perfect. Well, <laughs> what I was thinking of. Hold on, let me grab this piece of paper. Actually, um, what I was trying to think of. Well, the interesting thing is that how time goes by and all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, you, you want me to speak at a high school graduation? I just barely graduated myself. And then I'm like, wait, no, that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I actually probably have some nuggets in there and it was a good process uh, of reflection. Yeah, it's really, so it's really hard to place yourself back in that position, right? Because you become such a different person that you can't even have the thoughts you can't even entertain the thoughts that you used to have. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. It's and it just kind of goes to show how difficult it is to step in other people's shoes even if it was you back <laughs> how you used to be like Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um a couple of the things that I wanted to talk about um was risk management and f dealing with fear in life um cuz I think I I was afraid, I don't know if I was afraid when I was 17, but um, when you're 17, life is pretty tough. Like, you're trying to figure out who you are, you're doing all this work in school and trying to get into colleges or figure out what your next step is, like you're looking at leaving your parents, like, there's, it's a kind of tumultuous, challenging time. And I don't know if I wished I knew this, but looking back, I'm like, man, that was kind of honestly as hard as it got, you know, when you're trying to figure out relationships and everything. And I think I, my advice or something that I would share with myself is that it gets easier. Like yeah. life doesn't necessarily stop presenting you with challenges, but all these 
things that you're having to overcome and things that you're figuring out, life skills you're acquiring and the goal setting that you do, like that you will have for the rest of your life. And it will that just the same processes that you're struggling with um, polishing right now yeah. are going to give you the wisdom that you need for your entire life. And you never have the answers and no one ever will have all the answers. But the challenges that you're facing now are so worth same. it. And they're going to be the same. Yeah. I, yeah. That's so funny. When I was in grade 12, grade 11, grade 12, I was huge into skateboarding. It's all I wanted to do. And I was so scared because I knew all my friends were going to university and that I would be going as well. And I thought that you, when you went to university, you had to just do that. I thought it was like real world time. Put the skateboard away. You're going to be in an office all day. But it's the complete right. opposite. You're free. Yeah. It, <laughs> so it, it gets freedom. better. gets yeah. way better. It I mean, gets way better. Like this is the, that's the hardest time. Like you just can't through the most difficult part of your life most most likely like yeah barring life never any, stops dishing you challenges but and that's us looking like we haven't had any major events that some people have but yeah i totally agree it gets way easier and way more fun yeah yeah totally so i was going to kind of share that piece of insight and just encourage them that the goal setting that they've had to that they've been doing and because i'm speaking at an academy so you know goal setting is so important short term and long term but um, so, you know, to keep that up, that that is always something that you'll have your whole life and will help you steer your boat, but that it's also a, like a skill that you will acquire to know when to kind of go and bend with the flow of life when things are saying, you know, actually, even though you've been working your whole life with this, this is the opportunity that you're supposed to take and being able to accept and say yes at the right times when things are knocking on your door. Like I had to do that with free skiing, you know, I gave yeah. up a full ride. I gave up my whole dream of going to Harvard and going into environmental policy. And I didn't know if I was going to be a pro skier. Like I was just doing it because at the time it was the obvious choice of what life was trying to tell me. And or that if that's you like roll, a roll, back, roll back to when you're 18 and you didn't make the U S team. That's another one as well. Like that, I think that would be a valuable, valuable story for them to hear. Yeah. You work so yeah. hard for that, but in the end now looking back at it you're grateful of how things yeah. turned out. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I was going to kind of touch on the fact that the hardest things that we encounter always lead to our biggest growth and and really are our biggest gifts. I love it. How are well, you how are you going to make them laugh? Thing happens to you. <laughs> how am I going to make them laugh? You got any jokes? Well, I have lots of horrible jokes. I mean, not horrible, like dad jokes, I mean. Dad jokes. I also have horrible jokes, but I also have lots of dad jokes. Um, I'm not totally sure how I'm going to make them laugh. That's a good question. I got to, uh, I don't yeah, know. Who knows? They have such high standards them. these days. I know. We've got Millennium. Netflix and YouTube and. <laughs> I know. Instagram all day. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, I don't know, I was thinking about showing the, uh, Showing my segment maybe as an intro, showing one of my segments and then showing the footage of the fall and kind of telling a funny story about that day and kind of the process of learning to trust your gut and intuition and uh, and learn from your mistakes because we get smacked upside the head sometimes and it's all about like how to integrate those and listen and uh, have humility about it. Yeah. Nice. That's such funny time. So, have you done one of yeah, these before? No, I haven't. Nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's fine. I, I don't even need to write. I'm just going to write bullet points. And then I was thinking, I'm like, I should probably think about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you are shaping these kids' future. They're all... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thankfully not. So what, uh, what's the future looking like for you? Do you tend to plan goals long-term or you, do you keep your sights pretty short? I, as a kid, I always had long-term goals. Well, I was forced to set long-term goals, and I think everyone should set long-term goals. It's really good to have a general chart of where you're trying to sail in life. Um, and so I still do, but they're a little less concrete right now. Um, yeah, they're less concrete right now than I would like them to be. I'm sort of in a phase where I'm trying to figure out a little bit more of a concrete uh, long-term goal set. But I do know that I want to work with uh, indigenous tribes and cultures and uh, stay with them and integrate that into my ski career and hopefully into policy as well. They're like world When did that become an interest for you? 
since I was like eight, since really okay. since I can remember. Yeah, I've always, um, I've always, I pick up languages really easily. And so I've really, and I just, like I told you before, um, earlier, I really love Native American culture and medicine. And I think there's so much wisdom in these, you know, tribes that haven't changed for thousands of years. And it's almost like we're rediscovering some of their wisdom, like meditation or visualization, like and it's like keywords in business and you're like man people have been doing this for thousands of years <laughs> and now like top science is proving the validity and effectiveness of it and i think it's funny it's so funny yeah we're just repackaging it with cool names and good logos <laughs> yeah um so yeah i would like to that's the direction i'd like to go i'm still trying to set a little more solid goals in that realm but i still kind of have the big picture idea i guess and are you fully healed now are you good to go this summer yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm back kicking. I actually, I was good to go around, I would say like April, I was like about a year out. I was about a hundred percent. Perfect. So nice. What, and what's your summer looking like? Um, I'm moving up to Alaska. No way. What are you doing? Three weeks. I, um, well, I'm moving up there to be with my boyfriend and he, he can't leave. Well, Alaska is just amazing. I've always loved it. I've never been there in the summer. And so this is a move I've been thinking about for a while. So I don't know what I'm going to do once I get up there. There's so many amazing things like foraging and hunting. And then there's kite surfing and surfing and downhill biking. And it's kind of an outdoor sports mecca. So I'm looking forward to spending some time getting settled up there and spending a bunch of time in nature. I didn't know they had kite surfing up there. Yeah. That's wicked. Yeah, I still yeah. Need, I need to get up there. It looks insane. Yeah, it's uh it is absolutely mind-blowing. It's so beautiful. Like I've always gone in the winter, you know, or late winter, and being up there in the spring is like I don't even know how to describe it. It's so it's so wild in a different way. There's so much life. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rare to find a place that untouched these days. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like hardly anyone that lives up there. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's so cool. Thanks so much for your time today. It was awesome to finally connect. I know we've been missed missed each other a few times, but yeah, it's been great chatting with you too. Thanks for being patient, and it was awesome to catch up. Yeah, we can connect next time you're in Whistler. Sounds good. Yeah, I might uh, I might be driving through there actually in three weeks. All right, let's talk. Sessions, (laughs) awesome. Cool. Thanks, Angel. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed it, you can head over to iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or you can check out the website. And we also post these podcasts on YouTube. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the monthly email.